parfait. Ciao, today is the day we see the hosts in action. Italy get their World Cup campaign underway in Rome. But first, we've got a couple of games to run through, starting with the UAE, United Arab Emirates, taking on Colombia. And the UAE obviously going to be up against this. Something a little bit lesser known about their background, though. Uh, a lot of people try to, I'm not sure to what degree, give Don Revy quite a bit of credit. Uh, UAE essentially stole Don Revy away from the England job in 1977. Uh, Revy announced via the Daily Mail that he was leaving. The FAA were furious about this. I mean, they had looked essentially to replace him as it was, I believe, with Bobby Robson at that time, uh, funnily enough. But they tried to suspend Don Revy for, from English football for 10 years. I'm not really sure how you could do that for him taking a job, but they tried anyway. This was appealed ultimately in a lawsuit from Don Revy to his employers. It's a it stiff very- punishment for uh, going to the Daily Mail, really, isn't it? <laughs> it did essentially shatter his reputation, though, in England. I mean, I don't think it ever recovered. But as I said, 13 years previous to this, then, this tournament, uh, Revy went over. And, and a lot of people claim he sort of started the wheels turning for this achievement. He was there for three years. He didn't exactly achieve a whole lot, but a lot of people say he, he sort of brought the facilities of the scratch. He, he was the one who went over and sort of tried to kick on a, a professional setup. They had a few managers between them, but obviously more credit is going to have to go to legendary Brazilian Mario Zagallo, who's in charge of them for this tournament here. He's the only man at this point to have won the World Cup as a player and a manager, and he is the man who gets them through to the tournament. He was carried around the pitch on a chair by the team after they'd earned a draw and thus qualification against South Korea in the AFC. We touched on the qualifiers there in the very first episode, but I mean, they only won one game in that and still managed to qualify for the World Cup, which is pretty remarkable. They drew the other five games. All in all, their squad, if you look through it here, it's looking a little bit hopeless, but that's probably because we don't know a whole lot of the players. I mean, they're all domestic players, uh, amongst them the most capped UAE player of all time, Adnan El Taliani. He's still uh, the most capped player of all time as well. And uh, Colombia, you look at, at, at them on the other side, I mean, a little bit more experience. But their last t- taste of, of the World Cup came 28 years previous in Chile, back in 62. They scored six goals in that tournament and still didn't win a single group game. They looked very likely, as uh, Turlock mentioned in the, in the first episode we did of this, they look very likely to host the, the tournament or at least some of the knockout games. But uh, just to touch a little bit on the background of that, Turlock, you had mentioned the sort of um, iffy background for the, the Colombian government and, and the situation at the time. I mean, it probably is fair to say, given what we know about FIFA and how they've gone about things in, in recent years and, and how much we mentioned this tournament ended up costing Italy, that to be fair, the additional costs FIFA were demanding probably could have put pressure on them as well. Yeah, I, I think the issues in Colombia kind of went beyond cost, though. I mean, there was the fact that the, that the cartels were pretty much inextricably embedded in football and the society. It was very difficult for Colombia to host a presidential election without half the candidates getting bumped off. So, um, yeah, not, not a particularly a place that half the world would want to travel to for the purpose of playing football, um, especially given that the world's previous experience of a World Cup in South America had been in Argentina under effectively a fascist government. So I think it was a, it was a, a confluence of events, but probably a felicitous one at the end. 
just to touch on the Columbia team at that point, I mean, it's got a bit of a golden generation tag and, and we'll see that when we look at the squad and we see the likes of uh, Carlos Valderrama and Rene Higuita in there and, and probably a pretty low average age all in all by the looks of it. So you can see why it was considered a pretty standout golden generation. Jumping into the match then, the Emirates, as they had done in, in qualifying, they, they kept it pretty tight. It was a pretty scrappy game. A lot of these early games, I think you always find that is the case. Largely frustrated Colombia for the most part until just after the restart at halftime, Colombia finally got the scoring underway. And you could see a little bit of naivety in the, the UAE defence. Uh, upon clearing the ball, they, they got the offside trap all wrong. They tried to storm out and they allowed uh, Alvarez to run on to a searching pass in, just in acres of space. Not only, he only, I think he only takes two touches, but it seems like he just has minutes to plot what he's going to do with the ball. He calmly picks out Redden, who heads home. Later on in the game, then we have a, the original sweeper-keeper, Renny Higuita, trying to be alert and, and getting out of his box to stop uh, El Tiani running clear of the Colombian defence. I mean, in reports, they point out that the UAE attackers were, were pretty wasteful, and this is what ends up costing them. They, they did have a couple of chances, but late on, Carlos Valderrama, with an absolutely magnificent goal, doubles their lead. He essentially speeds up the left wing, cuts inside, and smashes a, a low, powerful effort. And it's one of those as well. Apart from it being smashed low, it bounces in front of the goalkeeper. I don't, I've never been able to do that. I don't know how players do that, but it, it really is... One of those that you're like, ah, oh, keeper has no hope. He nearly has to either jump out before it bounces or take an extra step back because it's, it's one of those really, really awkward ones. But a good start, a good start to the tournament for Colombia. UAE probably a little bit disappointed, but uh, probably gave a relatively good showing of themselves there. Next game on the agenda, then we have the Soviet Union in their first game. They take on Romania. Dave, do you want to take us through this one? Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you kind of bring up uh, the political significance but the tournament as a whole 1990 was kind of a I don't know what, what would you call it a dictatorship world cup there was a an awful lot of countries in the tournament that maybe weren't completely democratic and I think uh, Mario Zagolo who's leading the UAE at the time probably know an awful lot about working under dictators considering he famously uh, before the 1970 world cup he replaced Joe because uh, Saldana wasn't quite the the right-wing dictatorship in Brazil's uh favorite person so maybe maybe the UAE was a good fit for him but uh <laughs> yeah just going, going into this obviously you know a uh, political turmoil or whatever and then um, in the eastern bloc in general in in the USSR and Romania but as a game it probably signified a bit of a turn of the tables in terms of you know the Soviet Union we all you know going back to 1986 1988 obviously we played them in 1988 and they kind of um they it did kind of signify the maybe the decline of the Soviet Union at that point, not just football-wise, but you know, militarily, economically, in terms of even referees' decisions didn't go their way. Uh, they were quite comfortably in the end beaten by Romania. Marius Lakato got one goal in each half. I suppose the first one was um, I don't know what would you say if you're Ray Houghton, you'd probably be saying you know. He has to go across the goalkeeper there, but he he goes to the near post and the keeper doesn't cover himself in glory. Awful goalkeeping. I believe it was reported in the in the news at the time as a fantastic strike, but um the 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 second goal I think was uh it was a handball from the USSR defender, but it was you can see from the video now there was no VAR or whatever on that day, but um you can kind of clearly see it was outside the box, but a penalty was given and and that that kind of finished it up. I suppose it just it maybe signified a little bit of a change in the guard in terms of Soviet Union. Obviously, so much else going on there. You know, it'd be their last World Cup. Um, that that actually 
already sort of the, the process of breakup the Soviet Union had already started but they were still continuing as a team but um, maybe the rise of Romania again who um, they were an absolutely terrific team at the time particularly with uh, he, he wasn't hugely prominent in the game but George you had to become a you know a huge player in the tournament These are a selection of today's Italian newspapers and they're all crucifying Maradona Let's have a look at some of the headlines La Gazzetta della Sport, the most popular of the Italian newspapers, says Maradona KO'd, Maradona humiliated. Tutto Sport says Maradona ripped apart. And Corriello della Sport says Maradona risks elimination. And they also say Argentina really humiliated. Let's jump across to the hosts and their first game. Excitement really rising. And I think I'm right, it was in Rome, wasn't it, the first game? So the noise... Um, it was the Olympico, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the noise in the Olympico, it was it was reaching boiling point. The excitement was there, as I said. They won when they hosted in '34, so they were expecting um, expecting quite a, a strong start here from this team. Yeah, and Italy were actually with the with the bookmakers, certainly the Irish bookmakers. They were the favourites for the tournament, which um, surprised me a little because there was sort of mixed views in Italy on 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 the squad, on the team, on how it had been doing. I mean, they, they'd been in absolutely dire form since Euro 88. Obviously, they didn't have to qualify for the World Cup, but their six friendlies pr- prior to this game, they'd only scored two goals. They were just really struggling um, under Virginia. They didn't have a striker, right? Apart from Basio, it wouldn't be a normal striker. He'd be kind of a number 10, really. Yeah, but the, the golden boy really was Viali. Um, he was the one they were they were pinning all their hopes on for this game. He actually he started up front alongside Carnavale, um, and Carnavale, as we as we find out, played particularly badly. But the Austrians, they were really the Italians were really quite worried about the Austrians. The Austrians were fairly hyped going into this tournament. It was felt they had a good, young, um, quick, inventive team, and um, they qualified from a very very messy group with which the USSR ran away with. They kind of scrapped it out with Turkey and East Germany for the, the last place. Um, Austria had beaten the Netherlands in a friendly in March. Um, another interesting thing about the Austrian team, four of the, the players who played that day um, were from the champions Swarovski Tirol, which was a club that only existed between 1988 and 1992. That tends to happen quite a lot in Austria. It's not as stable a footballing climate as most of Europe. You get teams buying up licenses and then disappearing. Um, But yeah, they contributed, I suppose, the spine of the team. The Italian side, I mean, it was... You could see, actually, why international observers felt they were in in with a chance that, you know, the Zenga was in goal. The back four was Baresi, Bergami, Ferri and Maldini. Um, In midfield, they had Ancelotti. Di Napoli, Giannini and Donadoni and up front as you say is where, where the problem was Viali had, there were a lot of hopes pinned on Viali but uh, they couldn't really find the right strike partner for him and the kind of the very vocal lobby that had been you know bellowing for the inclusion of Baggio had died down a little bit um, I think his his move from Fiorentina was was had kind of affected his popularity a little bit if, if not people's assessment of his ability I think everyone knew he was a, a really strong player Read out the squad there, but I mean, you could also put that down as to each of the players who had had an effort off target, really, because it seemed <laughs> lining up in this game. And, and funny you mentioned the Austrians and, and how you know people were a little bit fearful of them. Because I mean, judging from the game, the highlights and the reports, they may as well have turned up traffic cones because they just looked to be 
static for most of the game. I mean, it's not even one of those games where the Austrian goalkeeper should get mad at the match because, you know, as I said, like Vianney, Carnival, Ancelotti, Giannini, Dondoni, each of them seems to miss the target by quite a range when it looks like they, they'll have to score at some point, you know? Absolutely. Not. And I think there's an element kind of rabbits in the headlights um, with Austria facing the hosts on the first game because they didn't really contribute a whole lot. And Carnivali missed a great chance after five minutes. Actually well saved by Lindenberger. And then Viali latched onto a, a really poor back pass and just one of those where he just really rushed the shot when, you know, Almost, a, almost half a second more, and it would have been he could have slotted it either side. But uh, yeah, Ancelotti hit the post with probably probably Italy's best effort in terms of actual execution of the first half, and then Carnavali absolutely blazed one over from about ten yards out. So at half time, the nerves were were jangling because you know it became something of a cliche in, in, in later years that Italy were these slow, slow starters at a, at a World Cup. But uh, it certainly seemed like those problems that had set in in the, the kind of the warm-up matches and friendlies hadn't been resolved in any way because Italy were following exactly the same, exactly the same script, just missing chance after chance. And as you say, not missing them particularly well. In terms of Carnivale, and, and I'm, I'm trying to think here, at the time, I mean, there probably wouldn't have been, you mentioned the Baggio thing as well. Like, I mean, just for a bit of background on that, for those who don't know the history of Baggio, he'd made the, it's like a record move, wasn't it? It was like 8 million or something it like was, that. yeah. yeah. I mean, 8.5, I think. Yeah. yeah, there would have been a large debate about whether he was, whether he was that good or whether he was, you know, because it was early enough in his career and, and whether he was worth that fee at the time. But I can't imagine he, the manager was under that amount of pressure to play him, given that, as you said, Viali would have been the man maybe to make way for his place in the team. Well, he he was possibly he was possibly under a bit of pressure from the young women, or at least the, the young magazine readers of Italy, because Baggio had just been voted the most handsome player of the World Cup. Were these um, the same women who were in the opening ceremony, or different women? <laughs> I think it was a slightly broader demographic, um, but definitely Italian, because Diego Maradona had been voted the least attractive. Um, but yeah. There was, I mean, there is always that tension of how you fit a kind of a, a number 10 into a system like this, particularly in, a, in such a high-stakes game for a stop. But yeah, uh, Baggio doesn't in fact get on at all. And uh, Viali misses again. He's, he's playing reasonably well, but just not taking his chances. He, he pulls off some good footwork, but shoots just a bit wide early in the second half. And then I'm going to do the the match of the day thing here of noting a substitution, which might be, which might be significant later on. Scalacci comes on for Carnivali after 75 minutes. Now, Scalacci was not, as some have said, you completely obscure nobody who just been kind of press ganged from the back streets of, of Sicily. He, he'd had a, a good, he'd had a decent season for Juventus. He'd got 21 goals, I think, but he was certainly not first choice and, you know, replacing your first choice strike pairing or one of them with with a guy who'd only really been capped um I think earlier that year. I think he'd had his first kind of audition as an overage player at a, an under twenty one game in Brighton in nineteen eighty nine when Gaza gave him three stitches. But he's on now and uh turns out to be a very wise substitution because Italy finally break the deadlock just a couple of minutes after he comes on, I think with thirteen minutes to play. Uh Donadoni plays a decent ball to Viali. Viali Wrong foots a defender on the byline and crosses for Scalacci, and it's a really terrific thumping close-range header. In some ways, a very really? un-Italian goal, but a, a really emphatic one. 
what a cross by Viali as well. Beautiful yeah. bottom cross. Really, really finds it like on a plate for, for, for Toto, who, as you said, he, he puts it away well. But Viali, after obviously having the couple of misses early on, more than makes up for it with that ball, I thought. And that's Viali with a full head of hair and Scalazzi with, with very little hair, which is how the tables have turned. <laughs> Austria... It's always very difficult when you've set up your set up shop defensively when you concede relatively late to try and change your mindset at the flick of a switch and they don't and there isn't really another chance in the game. I think Piccini's phrase afterwards, which is again not indicative of particular confidence, um, once Italy had the win out of the way, what he said to Italian media was, at last the nightmare is over. The nightmare being the first game of the World Cup. Um, <laughs> which is kind of a very Italian attitude. But uh, yeah, it was actually, you know, I think there was a good deal of recognition that Italy were really on a hiding to nothing. They could only really fail in the group stage and that this was really, you know, getting the win was pretty much as good as could be expected. But I think people would have been looking for a slightly more commanding performance. Mm, absolutely it's funny just you mentioned the odds I suppose earlier in it and there's a good old image uh, doing the rounds as well from one of the bookmakers odds where you mentioned Italy favourites at, at about 100 to 30 while Austria are all the way out at 66 to 1 so it, it probably you know in that way shows you the mismatch and how unnightmarish it was <laughs> to dominate a game at home when you're favourites for a World Cup but yeah that that wraps up the first of of the Italian victories at uh, Italian 90 and probably an explosion in the stadium of, of relief celebration rather than the, the pure adult joy. Um, elsewhere, I suppose, we, we need to drop into to the Irish camp again and see how we're faring because we're getting closer and closer to the Republic of Ireland's first game in, in Italian 90 and, and first in a World Cup. Yeah, and the, the big concern really is, is Ronnie Whelan uh, to the extent, I mean, we, we make fun of, well, we, we did back in the day of kind of the the minute attention that was given to David Beckham's metatarsal, but Ronnie Whelan's injury status in the run-up to this game is, is almost covered in as much forensic detail in the Irish papers. In the Independent, they have what they're calling the Diary of Whelan's D-Day, which is literally a pretty much minute-by-minute, minute, maybe 15-minute-by-15-minute 15 assessment of how he got on at a training session. And the, the, the verdict, unfortunately, at the end is that his, his thigh strain is going to keep him out. Jack Charlton confirms after Ireland's training session on this, this morning that Ronnie Whelan isn't going to feature in the England game. I think it's questionable whether he would have. I think Charlton secretly a little bit relieved because he just likes the dynamism of Andy Townsend in the middle. And that was visible towards the end of the, of the qualifying campaign that he was really loving Townsend's engine and gumption. And um, he really only came, I think his competitive debut was against Spain when he came on that qualifier but very much a Jack Charlton type of player. Um, you know, a player who can mix it in midfield, can, has, also has a little bit about him in the final third um, and kind of a very, very valuable in terms of geeing up the, the rest of the team in the midfield. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of confirmed on the lunchtime of this game, I suppose, while the, while the UAE-Columbia game is ongoing, that uh, Andy Townsend will start in place of Ronnie Whelan. Again, something that seemed massively significant at the time but uh, we, I suppose time will tell exactly how significant it was other bit of news that came out on this day as well Michael Jackson hospitalised unfortunately with inflamed rib cartilage which is interesting considering it wasn't the rib cartilage that was giving him trouble by the end actually 
Um, he'd have been, he'd have been pretty big back then. That would have been something else, all right, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was the cartilage of another, you know, it was the nose cartilage, wasn't it? That ended up giving him quite a bit of bother towards the end. But it, it would have been what? That would have been after bad, just before dangerous. So you know, pretty, the pretty signs good. were there. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's it for day two of Italian 90. Tomorrow we look ahead to the USA. First game in 40 years. They take on Czechoslovakia. I mean, we mentioned Italy, the favourites there for the tournament. And, and these two make up at least the top four. Brazil next up. They take on Sweden. They're second favourites for the tournament. While West Germany down in fourth favourites for the tournament. They play Yugoslavia. It's a good cross! And at last, it's the substitute, Scalacci! Okay. I love the way you phrased that, Michael Jackson. It's <laughs> just after bad and just before dangerous. <laughs> I thought you were getting at, you know, that that, um, that old urban myth that goes around about various celebrities having ribs removed. Oh, yeah, that was Marilyn Manson <laughs> supposedly had that. It was supposedly Elton John. It was supposedly David Bowie. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, he, he, it was... I remember- saw that on QI the other day. Is that, did you see that as well? Or I didn't know. I remember when these were current and we believed them in the school. <laughs> 